Really excited about this week's podcast, Professor Chris McClellan. We're going to chat a topic we talked about years ago, cortisol. What is it? Why is it important? And what is the role of it in the body? Let's rip in. Welcome to the Body Science Podcast. As always, the information contained in this podcast is for the information purposes only and is not designed to diagnose or be prescriptive to treat, prevent, or manage any injury, disease, or other health-related condition. Hey team, it's Greg from Fit, Happy, Healthy Central Body Science. I'm sitting here today with our first podcast ever in the Body Science Podcast Series. And with me, and with me every week from now on, is the big man himself, Dr. Chris McClellan, one of Australia's ultimate sports scientists. Like, you probably don't like that word, ultimate, but I'm throwing that out there because... Big rap. Thanks, Gregory. Look, if you want to look up the big dog himself, it's uh, at the Dr. Mac on Insty. Is that right? That's the uh, handle. That's the handle. It's average, guys. Don't get too excited, but it will get better. I it will you. improve. Yeah. yeah. It's not uh, probably what it could be. If you're looking to get our uh, reading notes or anything that we say, or if we put any pretty graphs up or et cetera in relation to this, it'll be at bodyscience.com.au forward slash podcast. It will. Awesome. So, mate, let's, uh, let's not muck around. We're here to uh, kick some goals. And the first topic we want to talk about is um, cortisol. Yeah, we're straight into it. Hey, uh, Maybe so, a bit of a background why we're talking to you yeah, about cortisol. So, big topic. Great to be here for a start and, and, and great to be part of uh, these podcasts are going to get rolled out. We talk a lot, right, about podcasts and um, why we're doing this thing. There's a camera here. I never know whether to look at the camera. It doesn't really matter. Look in my eyes, mate. Look, yeah, yeah. That, could get, that could get out of control really quickly. There's a lot of information out there, right? Social media, the internet. We love a good ebook. We do love it, an ebook, and we listen to a lot of. I listen. We listen to a lot of podcasts and uh, on a range of topics. And you know, there's some good information out there. There's some information out there that's perhaps less uh, useful for the end user. And so, what I think we're trying to do here is is provide information that you know comes from an evidence based perspective. So, if people aren't really familiar with what that even means, in the world of research, there are <clears throat> you know, lots of ways we can get information. Fundamentally, from a research perspective, we talk about peer review, and that is that it's been through a process of quality. Uh, and so we want to use information that comes from quality sources, not hit anybody over the head with hard science and big names, although we'll, we'll do plenty. I'm sure you'll drop a few of those. Yeah, we'll, we'll do a little yeah. bit of that. But, you know, it's not about trying to impress people with, with different names and, and different big words. It's about let's let's formulate this into a um, a structure that is good for the end user and the end user is the person in the gym the person on the training paddock the person you know in the shopping aisle um, whatever it might be so I, you know I envisage that this thing's going to hit all demographics I, you know it's for crossfitters it's for bodybuilders it's for you know the, the, the avid gym goer and by bodybuilding I mean everybody mate I mean bikini figure fitness you know classic physique all of those we're non-federation specific right so as far as I'm concerned you know so for those that are Competing in the physique world, you know, certainly we uh, we intend to um, provide information for everybody. Perfect. Like really diverse backgrounds, um, general practitioners, dietitians, um, strength conditioning coaches, comp prep coaches, whatever they are, PTs. Um, <laughs> you see, I threw that <laughs> in. Doing I had to throw that in. Right? That yourself, yeah, we'll get that. Naturopaths, chiros, physios. You know, I think. There's going to be something for everybody. We want to we want to cover all those bases. So we've got some good people coming on. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll, without talking to. it up too much, but absolutely, it's about diverse input. Not trying to be all things to all people. 
it's it's more about let's get some good information out there so that people can use it. So you mentioned cortisol. So we're talking about stress here and we talk about cortisol. What yeah. are we talking about? Yeah, so cortisol, I guess fundamentally, um, it's a... It's corticosteroid, right? And so it comes from cholesterol, and, and, and I'll get into that in a minute. But my thing, you know, I guess why we feel, or I feel that I'm in a position to even talk about cortisol is, you know, I have a PhD, and that PhD did investigate cortisol adaptations in elite athletes, rugby league players, to training, travel, competition, sleep, a whole lot of stuff. Tracked them for years. I've done years. thousands of tests. Yeah, yeah. Thousands. Um, done, done a ton of tests, used saliva, used blood, used all of those sort of modes of analysis of not only cortisol, but a number of other hormones that we'll talk about along the way, testosterone. We'll get into some immune system function. And so that's what I did. I looked at physiology. I looked at endocrinology, which is hormones. I looked at immunology and, and their adaptations of the immune system to all different types of stimuli and biochem and so we looked at you know muscle damage markers cretin kinase myokine myokinase etc i mean we'll get to that throughout the whole course of this i intentionally use the word stimulus and not stress i think stress i think there's a negative connotation that comes with the word stress everyone thinks that stress is a bad thing i actually think it's a it's you need some stress in your life right if you didn't have any stress in your life no stress not alive you're not in you're in in bad shape right so and when i talk about and we're going to get to cortisol in a minute i'll get off my rant but i think you know, we're, we're bombarded, right? Social media, popular media, all different types of media. We're constantly told how stressed we are, right? And I said, I've done I've done thousands of tests, you know, and I, when people come to me and they say my cortisol's elevated, I say, well, how do you know, right? Go and get it tested. You can. So what's someone doing if they want to get their cortisol tested? How are they, how are they doing that? Oh, they go to their GP. They can get a blood test. Um, and they're cortisol, asking for a cortisol test? Yeah, there's a cortisol challenge test that you can have that actually determines whether or not you actually have some cortisol is dysregulation. Is that that It's a blood test. Blood test, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's a... So I'm not getting one so then you got to go on it's called phlebotomy you know so you, it's called what it's got a not a lobotomy it's a phlebotom a phlebotomist is a person that takes blood samples so the doctor hand, hands me that the result oh uh, yeah what's he yeah. going to say like what's high what's he or low? she oh, sorry my apologies he or, yes, he or she will will talk to you about my doctor's male so i apologize okay fair enough cortisol is uh, a hormone that has a diurnal response. So we talk about this all the time. Nocturnal things come out at night. Diurnal things come out in the day. I think most people know that cortisol has this pattern of release. Yep. It tends to be elevated in the morning and we get a, a cortisol. It's called the cortisol awakening response, a CAR. Which we need because we want to get up. Yeah, yeah. You want to get out of bed. You want to get amongst it and then get into your day. And then there'll be a general slope throughout the day leading to a reduction in cortisol with little spikes along the way whatever happens in your day and what you're exposed to throughout the day stress cortisol is something that you cannot escape it's it's a natural part of daily function it's like uh taxes like and this is probably left the field but you know you can't avoid tax you've got to pay your taxes but you want to you don't want to pay any more tax than you have to yep right so that's why you find a good accountant they help you with your taxes it's the same with cortisol you're going to have spikes in cortisol absolutely normal natural part of the day you want to avoid these unnecessary spikes or it remaining unnecessarily elevated throughout the day gotcha and if and you can do that and there's strategies that we can do that there's nutrition there's supplements there's a whole lot of different activities or strategies we can use to do that now what is normal because a lot of people um, sort of say to me well what's a normal level and again most people won't really know what this means, but it's about 10 to 20 uh, micrograms per deciliter. 10 to 20 is the range. And when that you get will your come test, on my, my test. Yeah, yeah, yeah it'll, it'll come that. in like that. Now, can what, I ask one more silly question while we're here? Yeah. And I know you're just about to launch into some info. So if I have my test early in the morning and have my test in the Arvo, is that going to make any difference? No. No. Okay, cool. So can we move on? We can get a test from the doctor. Yep. doesn't matter when you get it. Just get one. Correct. 
And then if you have a follow-up test of any type, then you have it at the same time of the day. Okay. If it goes above 28, well, I guess traditionally anything above 28 is high. Okay. And if it stays high for long periods of time, then that's what... So the word chronic means prolonged duration. Acute means sort of immediate. And that's probably the best way to describe it. Throughout the day and while you sleep at night, it'll drop down as low as three to maybe five. And that's kind of where it sits. It's a really sort of normal kind of pattern of adaptation. I know, I know where you're going to go with this, but there are people who have uh, what's called adrenal insufficiency. And there is a condition called Addison's disease that is associated with a, a bona fide clinical condition associated with cortisol function. You're going to, I know what you're going to ask me. Adrenal fatigue. Let's, let's get it out there. Without completely alienating the naturopath community from this whole thing, mm-hmm. adrenal fatigue is not a clinically diagnosed condition. If you go to your GP, they're not going to diagnose you with adrenal fatigue. Adrenal fatigue, if you cut to the chase, is a is something that was invented by a naturopath. The guy's name was James Wilson back in 1998, so 20-odd years ago. That's right, isn't it? Yeah, 20-odd right, 20, yeah. 20 years ago, wrote a book called The Same Thing, and really fundamentally, it was something that was invented by this guy to explain a range of what are pretty non-specific symptoms that collectively were badged up and termed this adrenal fatigue. Okay. If you think about the general, I suppose, symptoms, you know the difference is between a sign and a symptom? No, let, tell us. Oh, well, a symptom is something that someone tells you and a sign is something that you can measure. Okay. So someone comes in, you know, the naturopath. So, you know, things like low energy, brain fog. Feeling run down. Feeling run down, these sorts of things. Um, trouble sleeping, can't bounce back from an illness or something like that. Low sex drive, these sorts of things. All collectively got bundled up into this adrenal fatigue. If you go, in my world, in, in academia, um, I rely on evidence-based practice and I, I rely on, on world authorities on various things. So if you go by the Endocrine Society, the World Endocrine Society, there is research um, and we can provide it. I'm happy to put it on this. Um, Let's drop the link at the bottom. Yeah, we'll drop the link. Bonafide position statement from the um, Endocrine Society saying that it's not a thing. We don't teach it at uni. Because okay. it's not a thing. There's a big systematic review, it was done in 2016 actually, that we can also drop the link to, mm-hmm. that outlines that it's a complete myth. Okay. But the caveat on that is that absolutely we do get cortisol dysfunction and we do definitely get cortisol resistance, right? Everyone's heard of insulin resistance, cortisol resistance happened. Cortisol's a problem, don't get me wrong. Like, it can be a problem. No, I'm not sort of, you know, suggesting that it's not a drama. It, it absolutely is. And people should try and identify if that's the primary issue or not. One of the things I tell students all the time and anyone I work with, athletes or whatever, the human body's a pretty miraculous thing, mate, basically. Mm-hmm. Nothing happens in isolation, right? So it's never just one thing. Like, if you... If it's not going to just be cortisol. It's not going to just be thyroid function. It's not just going to be insulin. It's not just going to be progesterone or estrogen or testosterone. It's a cause and effect. There's a downstream effect that all of these things have. You know, if you do your, you've had some, if you do your ACL, you did your ACL, didn't you? No. No. But you've had low back injuries. And I have, you've, yeah. You've had a whole lot of things, right? What do you have? A disc injury? L4, L5 replacement. Yeah, okay. If you blow out a disc, right? The problem isn't just going to be your disc, right? There's going to be a whole myriad of knock-on effects associated with muscle function, ligamentous function, you know, tendon issues, inflammatory conditions. It all gets pretty busy pretty quickly. Pain, you know, chronic pain. And cortisol is associated with chronic pain, mate. You know, like nothing happens in isolation. So that's where I kind of get on my little high horse a little bit like I am now and you can't get a word in. But fundamentally, people who just go, you know, 
what I what I get concerned about is if someone goes, oh, I'm feeling I'm a bit off my food, I'm not sleeping real well, and I feel a bit stressed, and someone goes, you've got adrenal fatigue. Garbage, right? It could be a bucket load of things. So let's just get it sorted out, right? Yep. Let's just get it tested. If, 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 if you go to someone and, and you give them those kind of symptoms and they go, yep, adrenal fatigue, no, no uh, stimulants for six months, you know, blah, okay. blah, blah, turn around and walk away, okay. right? Because that's not, that's not it, okay. right? It could be a whole lot of stuff. Okay. The 101 or the download on cortisol is really simple, right? It's As I said, it's a glucocorticoid. It's synthesized from cholesterol. You know, if we want to get into the deep dive on it, it's produced in an area of um, the adrenal cortex within the adrenal gland that is actually sitting on top of your kidney. Um, so it's nowhere near your brain, which a lot of <laughs> which we've learned pretty recently. The actual area is called the zona fasciculata. Can you say that again? The zona fasciculata, and I'm not going to say it three times fast. Wow. Um, but really, fundamentally, it's it's driven by the anterior lobe of your pituitary okay. um, that releases a hormone. It's called adrenocorticotropin, horm- um, tropic hormone ACTH, and that's um, that drives the whole system. The stimulus around that, or, or what makes a whole bunch of things, the reason. I originally looked at cortisol in research, you know, 10 years ago almost, is I wanted to know, the fundamental question was, how does it impact on performance and okay. recovery? Yep. And is it a big player? And, and it's a player. It's not the, and, but I keep coming back to the fact it's not the only player, right? And I say that because it's blunt. And by blunt, I mean, there are lots of things that affect it. Physical stress, go and do a workout, right? You'll get a rise in, in um, cortisol. Let me tell you, I was listening to a podcast the other day and there were some people on this podcast telling people not to exercise because you spike cortisol. Let me tell you, people, that is not very good information. We love training. We train every day. Get into it. Every right? day? Oh, yeah, man. Jeez, that'd raise your cortisol, man. wouldn't it? Oh, and that's what you want. <laughs> we wanna, you know, we want to we make some... Well, the body's in this state of homeostasis, right? It's not going to change unless you make it. Absolutely. Right? So there's some really unfortunate realities in life. If you want to lose fat, it's not that hard, but you've got to control some things, right? The easiest way is control what you put in your mouth, Yep. right? Control what you put in your mouth, you control insulin, or at least have an impact on it, yep. and get off your ass, you know? train right you've got to be in caloric deficit i know you can there's you know it doesn't matter what diet you're on whether you're keto paleo carnivore if it fits your macros vegan vegan i oh know is that a thing same thing no same Move thing on. whatever it doesn't matter man you've got to manipulate what you put in your mouth okay right um time restricted feeding intermittent fasting the whole thing right it all comes back to the same thing right and i'm sure we'll cross all those bridges throughout this thing as we go keep coming back see i'm on a rant but anyway it's not about me greg it's about, it's about body science. Anyway, you're asking me about cortisol. Right. Okay. So we talked about the uh, zona fasciculata. All right. So the other area that is important I su- that we can talk about is, oh, I mentioned it was blunt hormone. You did. Right. So, okay. So the limitation is that it's affected by a whole lots of things. Physical stress, emotional stress, the temperature, the environment, you know, um, food. Like lots and lots of things impact on cortisol and will cause these little spikes throughout the day. That's perfectly okay. That's normal and we want that and that's no big deal. We want to control how high it goes and how, high, and how long it stays there. One of the big things, I suppose, driven down our throats is that we're, we're really chronically stressed. Yep. Right? Now, I would argue the toss on that because I actually, I don't think we are. I think, you know, there are people who have generally got stress in their life. You know, cortisol's such a dynamic hormone that it's got a half-life of about an hour. Okay. So it goes up quick and it comes down quick, right? And so it's not like some hormones that hang around and stay up all day. I mean, if you're 
stressed out of your brain, maybe. Oh man, you'd have to be really exposed to a like a lot of stress for it to stay up and just stay there constantly. It's going to fluctuate. People use the saber tooth tiger analogy. People getting chased down the street by a saber tooth. I don't know if that ever happened. I may have used that myself once yeah, or that's twice. A, that's, yeah. a, that's a Greg Youngism, um, a reasonable one. It's a it's a stimulus, right? Rather than a well, it's probably it's a stimulus, right? Can you imagine being that stimulated? I can't imagine being that stimulated by a saber tooth. So tiger. that saber tooth tiger is chasing me right now. Right. What's going on in my body? All right, okay. So, good question, Gregory. Fundamentally, there's an area of your brain called the amygdala, another big name, um, but it sits within what's called the limbic system of our of our brain. Limbic, it's a it's a primal part of our brain. It's the inert perception that that's a saber toothed tiger. I should be scared, and I've got to do something about it, right? And so, what happens is the amygdala will effectively regulate our perception of bad things. Okay. Stress or stimuli. And so we have this subconscious appraisal of this stimuli that says, hmm, if that gets hold of me, that's going to be a problem. So I better do something about it. The flight or fight response, yep. right? So you're going, that's adrenaline, man. And I would say, yeah, man, it is. <laughs> so what happens is we get this formation of a stress in our um, subconscious, yep. okay? You don't have to sit there and necessarily think about it too much. But the amygdala, so a couple of things happen really quickly. There's this instinctive adaptation. We get a, uh, a release of things called sympathetic adrenergic catecholamines, which again is a big name for noradrenaline. Now, for anyone in the American audience, I'm talking about epinephrine and norepinephrine. In Australia, we call it adrenaline. In yeah. the US and other places, it's, it's epinephrine. So when you're watching ER and all that, and it's like, get me 10 cc's of epinephrine stat, yeah, you like to roll that out. Greg rolls that out at lunchtime here. Is that on Netflix at the moment or not? Yeah, okay. It could be. I don't know, man. But um, uh, it's adrenaline. Okay, so... So what's stopping when that's happening? We know what's happening. We're, we're moving forward. We're definitely... Oh, well, what happens is... Well, what happens is... We get an increase in heart rate, ventilation rate, sweat rate. We get vasoconstriction. We get a sweating response. So the body prioritizes those immediate responses. So everything else gets limited. Yep. So your immune system becomes a little compromised. We don't get blood flow to our organs. So digestion slows down, like all that sort of stuff. So that's why you feel sick. You're going to throw up, right? Because we have this complete shift in prioritization to we've got to keep things normal. We've got to stay in homeostasis, right? So the amygdala, So that's what happens. We get a catecholamine dump, you know, a, a, an adrenaline dump. Like you've just nearly run up the back of someone's car because you're on your phone or, you know, not that any of us would we ever do, do that. that. No, I know, but that might happen. You know, there might be someone doing that right now but anyway don't do that get off your phone Pico get off your phone Pico get off your phone brother this is I'm doing too much talking here but so the amygdala also stimulates what's called the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis the HPA axis really fundamentally um, the hypothalamus is sort of like this central regulator of our of our body so the amygdala um, simulates the hypothalamic uh, pituitary adrenal axis, the HPA axis. And most people have probably heard about that somewhere around the traps, okay? Have we got something we can visualise? We can put a link up? To uh, yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a bit of a flow diagram we can put up. Um, it's pretty simple when we think about it. But fundamentally, the hypothalamus is like this central regulator of hormone function and, and a whole range of other things in the body. Okay. What happens is the amygdala stimulates this hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis. The hypothalamus releases what's called corticotropin-releasing hormone, CRH. CRH triggers ACTH or adrenocorticotropin hormone from the anterior pituitary. So your hypothalamus, so your brain yep. senses something, the amygdala sends a stimulus to your hypothalamus. The hypothalamus sends a stimulus to your um, pituitary. Your pituitary sends another stimulus to your adrenals, to your adrenal cortex. Cortisol goes up. 
Okay, the immediate response is cortisol. Why? Because cortisol's really fundamental role is to increase the availability of fuel substrates, mm -hmm. glucose, fatty acids, things like that, for action. Right? It's it's making fuel available for us to do something about the stimulus in our world. Okay. Okay. And that's that's the fundamental process by which it works. Now, cortisol binds to these things called glucocorticoid, I'll get it out eventually, receptors. So it's a hormone. It binds onto a receptor. Lock and key mechanism, right? One lock, one key. Yep. What happens is when we have this excess amount of cortisol in our blood, it actually works by what's called a negative feedback loop. By nature of having extra cortisol in our blood, it goes back up and tells the hypothalamus and the pituitary, hey, we've got enough, let's relax, let's switch off, right? And so it stops stimulate your adrenals in a perfect world and you know, there's a reduction in cortisol. Life goes back to normal, okay? What happens in life and from time to time and things when we get this prolonged stimulus is there's a problem with that switch-off mechanism, okay? Because it's a hormone and because it binds to these receptors, there's only so many receptors. And once we have, you know, constant flooding of cortisol in the system because of too much stimulus, too many keys and not enough locks, right? Too many cortisol molecules and not enough receptors for them to land on, that's a problem. And so that's where we start to see all these negative effects that we hear about with cortisol, okay. inflammation and muscle breakdown and all this sort of stuff, right? It, because it be, then becomes catabolic. Catabolic is breakdown of muscle, basically, right? Well, yeah, that, that's a simpler way, simplified way of looking at it. But that's the fundamental role, right? When we have this chronic response, we, we end up with cortisol dysfunction, right? Because there's nowhere for it to go, right? And that lends itself to what we call cortisol resistance why it matters and why it's a product why it's a problem is because it, it disrupts that negative feedback right so th there's no switch off mechanism so when people say adrenal fatigue i actually look at it it's not fatigue it's overdrive okay you know adrenals don't get tired your pancreas doesn't get tired it just gets it just stays switched on you know really fundamentally so i get a bit funny about you know the terminology we use but Anyway, so that, that's how it basically works. And we end up with inflammation or, or things called pro-inflammatory mediators. So you're, you're pulling the word inflammatory out a fair bit at the moment, yeah. that inflammatory response. Yeah. That's an exaggerated response, obviously, you're talking about yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a persistent response. So, so what's going – let's just dumb this down a little bit for me. What's yeah. going on in the body at the moment when, when that's happening? Well, we get these things called mast cells. <clears throat> and they're pro-inflammatory. So they lead to increased inflammation. Okay. okay. So, And that's a real naughty thing long-term, isn't it? Yeah, because inflammation leads to what's called oxidative stress, free radicals. Yep. People have heard of those. Yes. Um, bad things, you know, that can lead to – it actually has a big, uh, big impact on uh, ageing okay. process, um, tissue degeneration, and chronic disease, fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue syndrome, uh, low back, chronic low back pain, rheumatoid arthritis, okay. those sorts of things. Nasty. Right? Nasty stuff you don't want in your life, right? Um, and actually, there's a bit of research around, and you've had low back issues, so you know what I'm talking about here, but chronic low back pain, by nature of having chronic exposure to back pain, the brain's an interesting thing, mate. You actually forget what it's like not to have pain. So that's what, we have these chronic pain syndromes, mm -hmm. and that's, Cortisol on its own is not going to do that, but cortisol can, can contribute to that because of its inflammation effect on inflammation. Uh, and it gets pretty complicated, mate. There, you know, in terms of some of the hormones, there's you know various things, and we don't need to go there. But that's that's the I guess the the rudimentary method by which it works. Is that fair? Yeah. That was impressive. I like yeah, that. That was really good. Yeah. Mate, I'm going to get to the 101 here, oh. and I know it's not the 
the whole cortisol picture. Yes. Cortisol and fat gain. Oh, yeah. So it's complicated, man. We all want to know this. You know, this is the real reason well, we're listening well, to this. It's, it's, it's right. <laughs> Uh, and I'll bang on about it. Like it, cortisol on its own is not going to make you fat. Yeah, we got right? that. It'll contribute to it, one hundred percent, no question. It'll increase. It'll contribute to increased. Um, actually, leads to cortisol. There's some research around the maturation of pre-adipocytes. An adipocyte is a fat cell. Yep. Okay, pre-adipocytes to become mature adipocytes. Direct links with cortisol, right? So that's a thing, right? Cortisol, you know, it, it has an impact. If you've got a crappy diet, your lifestyle habits aren't great, and you've got a ton of stress in your life, and you have no way of really, you know, controlling that through diet or supplementation or exercise or whatever, then, man, yeah, it's a pretty complicated mix of stimuli, stimuli that lead to increased fat gain. Yep. You know, feel miserable, can't get out of your own way. So it's a, it's peripherally mediated. I, like, I kind of use this term a lot. It's peripherally mediated, so it affects your I have fat. no idea what that means well peripheral means on the outside but it's centrally driven okay which means things like your hypothalamus your your central nervous system organs yeah what's going on inside affects what you can see on the outside gotcha but then there are some things that you can't see like visceral fat you know i mentioned those receptors those glucocorticoid receptors okay so fat cells have a lot of them particularly visceral fat that's where from a health perspective you know there are direct links between fat gain and particularly nasty fat gain which is fat around your organs which is visceral fat and cortisol levels okay so it all you know there's an interplay between all these now there's there's lots of research that is causative that that presents causative relationships between elevated cortisol levels and stress and fat and obesity particularly you know i've given you a couple along the way and we can put some we'll drop those yeah we can drop them on there but and things like uh, shift work yeah that's interesting let's let's talk about shift work's interesting man well it's actually more around diurnal patterning of hormonal responses and and circadian rhythm and the circadian rhythm is you basically 24 hour clock okay so and how that can be dysfunctional or not work properly or perfectly when if you're awake all night and you're asleep all day the body's not we're not made to do that right so how and it's not just cause there's a ton of hormones right your circadian rhythm will impact on a whole range of things but metabolism is one and how you metabolize foods your gut microbiome and we need to you know maybe we'll get a i'm not an expert on the gut and i don't profess to be the gut is getting a lot of attention at the moment mm-hmm. in health and fitness. Yes. And I would say, I keep coming back to this thing, it's not just your gut. Yeah, Your okay. gut's part of it, 100%. Absolutely. But it's one player in a really complicated um, group of things that will collectively produce an outcome. If you've got you know, a problem with your gut microbiome, so the, the little good things in your gut that digest food and things like that, that's a problem, don't get me wrong. Fixing that or just... You're not going to fix that without having an impact on other things, you know, with your nutrition and your diet and your lifestyle and that sort of thing. So it's not a one-trick pony, right? And this is what I think the problem is, and I've said this to you before. Right now in health and fitness, with all of the noise going on, it's hammer and nail, man, right? If all you got, to, for those that don't know what I mean, I mean, if all you've got's a hammer, everything looks like a nail, yep. right? So if your thing, and this is what I'm seeing a lot of, these proponents of gut health and whatever, cortisol or whatever, they're going, no, 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 it's all about cortisol. It's all about the adrenals. It's all about your gut. It's not. It's all about all of them. You know, and so one size does not fit all. Not everything looks like a nail, and that's where 
you know, I just encourage people to ask good ask questions, right? You know, if you go and see someone, whether it's a personal trainer or and personal trainers are at the front line of health and fitness, right? That's where people go. Absolutely. You know, because they want information around how to exercise, how to modify their diet. And I know there's you know, lots of people who get on their high horse around scope of practice, but they're they're at the front line, right? So you want, and there's an expectation that they're giving you good information. And I could get onto a long rant around quality training of PTs because I think I think there's a long rant that can be had there. That would raise your cortisol, Macca. We don't want to do that. Yeah, raise my cortisol. But you know what? You know, they're at the front line of this thing, and so. We want them to give people good information, yeah. and hopefully this is a source, or at the start of a source of that, that can, can give them some, some good info. When it comes to fat gain and it comes to cortisol, it's a, it's a significant player, right? And so cortisol also has a, it's actually um, what's called an antagonist. So an antagonist is something that works the opposite. So insulin and cortisol are fundamentally antagonists. So cortisol can, because of the, you know, the hormone uh, receptors I mentioned. Mm-hmm. Okay. So because they downregulate those uh, glucocorticoid receptors, yep. cortisol does, that has to have an effect on other things, right? So that has an effect on insulin. That has an effect on insulin resistance. And we know uh, people are pretty familiar with insulin resistance as a medical um, condition. Yes. Um, and sort of the, the, the knock-on effects of that. So... And it's just—it's basically, you know, deregulated capacity to metabolize glucose and and function, you know, normally from a metabolic perspective. Cortisol, as I mentioned, its function is to increase um, effectively circulating glucose, right? And you mentioned what else it does. Well, yeah, I mentioned it suppresses the immune system and and all of those things as well. Cortisol enhances a couple of things: lipolysis. So lipolysis is effectively the breakdown of lipids to triglycerides. You know, they're just the little working parts of it, right? Cortisol will increase um, the function of a thing called hormone-sensitive lipase, HSL. Hormone-sensitive lipase is, let's simplify it, it's the fat-burning component of um, thermoregulation. Okay. Okay. The other thing it does is... And it does that by breaking down these triglycerides into fatty acids and glycerol, fundamentally, which we get with an increase in adrenaline and we get it with an increase in cortisol. Okay. So that's kind of how that works. But it drops your insulin a little bit. The other thing is um, the cortisol has an impact on is another enzyme called lipoprotein lipase, LPL. Okay, so that's activated by insulin and it's involved in the uptake of triglycerides into fat cells. Makes you fatter. Okay. okay. Insulin, I know, right? It's pretty complicated. This is why I say it's not, it's pretty complicated, right? But but you get that, right? I get it. Yeah, it makes There's sense. There's a couple of um, enzymes there associated with breaking down the fat and then driving the fat into the fat cells. Yep. Yeah, okay. Which makes you fatter. Yep. Okay. And everyone's familiar with, I think most people are pretty familiar with insulin. It's a peptide hormone. comes from um, your pancreas fundamentally. It's a, it's a really anabolic hormone um, and it re- regulates um, carbohydrate metabolism mm-hmm. really fundamentally. Cortisol gets in the way of that somewhat by inhibiting a thing called gluconeogenesis in the liver. Now, gluconeogenesis is really just the breakdown of non-carbohydrate sources into glucose. So, you know, we talk about cortisol being catabolic. So it's breaking down amino acids and proteins and stuff. And that's what gluconeogenesis is, right? So it's pretty pretty complicated. But because insulin promotes things like unsaturated fatty uh, acid synthesis and glucose uptake and that sort of thing, cortisol can get in the way of that leading to insulin resistance and that's that's a bad outcome for everybody yeah that can then lead itself to um, increase in fatty deposits and increase 
adipose tissue and fat. It's not as simple as that, really, but because cortisol's an antagonist for insulin, it counteracts insulin's activation this is good, activation of um, glycogen synthase in muscle, insulin inhibition of lysis in fat and things like that. Anyway, the net effect is together, those two, cortisol and insulin, increase the lipoprotein lipase, right, and dampen the hormone-sensitive lipase. What that, the net effect of that is you get an increase in uptake of triglycerides into fat cells and you get fat, right? So it's not just cortisol, it's not just insulin. There's this interaction between them, and you know, I've I've probably given the five minute overview of some pretty intense Absolutely, physiology. Yeah, we get that. Yeah. Okay. I mean, hopefully that gives people a bit of a working understanding of that. The, the other player. Yeah. You got. It. What were you going to say? Well, mate, I was just going to ask. So that's obviously a big issue for someone who's already holding weight. Massive. Yeah. 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 And that's why people say it makes it harder to lose fat. Yeah. For sure, right? Because um, it's actually working against your ability to lose fat yeah yeah and and often if you if you've got your diet on you know you're getting your diet going in check and you're doing some exercise but you've still got these other dramas and other things going on in your life i mean you're never going to be stress-free right everyone's got stress in their life even you've got stress <sighs> which is a big thing right can you believe it do you have stress yeah i'm living the dream though mate yeah, I, I love yeah, it. i'm living in a dream you're living the dream yeah anyway um because there's knock-on effect mate i mentioned you know Thyroid. Yep. So cortisol has an impact on your thyroid as well. It actually impacts on T4, which is thyroxine, mm-hmm. uh, conversion to T3, which is a, a pretty big name, but it's triiodothyronine, um, which is called T3 and 4. Okay, so basically uh, low cortisol or, or cortisol interrupts your thyroid function. Yep. Okay, T3 is just the, the active form of um, the thyroid hormone, yep. fundamentally. Okay. Um, but what it does is high cortisol decreases the conversion of T4 to T3, and I'm not going to get complicated with it, but it increases the um, conversion of T4 to reverse T3. Wow. Re- reverse T3 is yep. just... It's a, it's a mirror... Uh, it's a non-active mirror version of T3. Okay. Okay. You actually need it because you don't want you know, huge amounts of circulating active T3 floating around your body. You want the reverse T3. It's competitive receptor binding and stuff like that, but it's part of normal function in your life. Well, I'm, you're still with me, aren't you? It's pretty simple. you got some hormones. It switches one off and switches one on. I'm getting and, it. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. Anyway. Um, it's not a topic I talk about nah, every day, but T3, though. T3 is metab- the metabolically active form of the thyroid hormone, increases things like cardiac output and all that sort of stuff, heart rate and all that sort of stuff. Um, Probably the other player in the whole game is leptin, which you probably heard about. Leptin, sorry, the other thing, well, leptin has receptors on your hypothalamus and going right back to where we started with this thing, hypothalamus is a key regulator of cortisol function. We got that early? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Leptin acts on these receptors in your hypothalamus and actually has an impact on hunger and satiety. So satiety is your feeling of fullness, right? Leptin's made predominantly in fat cells and adipose cells. Okay. And that's where it comes from, right? So... I mentioned to you one time, you know, you're not hungry. You don't get hungry because you're fat. You're fat. No, hang on a minute. <laughs> Here we go. Here we go. You don't get hungry. You're hungry. No, you're not. You don't get fat because you're hungry. You're hungry because you're fat. 
Yes. And that's pretty much that's pretty much how it breaks down. The other thing is we get this um, cortisol can increase a thing called neuropeptide Y. Yep. Which again we're getting kind of in the deep water here, but yep. um, makes me hungry. Craving, craving of uh, fatty foods, sweet foods, stuff like that. Yeah. So how much of a stimulation is that on appetite? I know you're not. Which one? You're not going down the dietetic path, and we'll get some. Dietitians. I'm not a dietitian. We'll get the I don't dietitians to on be a soon. Dietitian. Like how much is that stimulating appetite? Like which one? Nor- what you were just talking about. Neuropeptide Y. You didn't want to say it. No, I don't want to say any big words on this. We how much? Well, Name one um, four letters in any word. Kind of like how long is a piece of string, mate? Because it depends on the levels of it. Yeah. it de- so this is what I'm saying. I can't just say a lot or not much. It depends. Because what you have is different to me, is different to someone else. Yep. Leptin's stimulated by insulin as well, right? When you have a high-fat meal, you'll have lower leptin levels. Mm-hmm. When you have uh, – and fasting drops your leptin. Okay. So there's a lot of things you can you can use there that will have an impact on on fat and that sort of thing. You know the other player is ghrelin. Ghrelin's another um, peptide hormone produced by the stomach. Uh, ghrelin actually will increase your hunger. So when your stomach's empty, you get an increase in ghrelin, and you want to eat fundamentally. And leptin, you know, comes from our fat cells. So the more fat cells, the more leptin. This is where I say all of these systems collectively contribute to things like hunger, yep. cravings, what you eat what you eat will then have an impact on you know insulin levels how you eat it when you're eating it and what else is going on in your life will affect your cortisol levels and so you know it's a, it's a pretty murky soup mate that, that will have an impact on how all these things work so i guess the message today is does it matter yeah absolutely is there anything you can do about it for sure and that's where you know there's conversations around lifestyle management anyone says just going to get cortisol out of your life completely you're kidding yourself but can i do things that will limit the impact definitely without doing the hard sell there's there's good supplements on the market that will have an impact on it you know and, and body science have a product and i'm not doing the hard sell at all but there you know body science have a product the clinical, Mate, don't mention hydroxybone clinical because i, won't I, don't, I don't want you mentioning that at all okay so i won't mention it but you know there are products on the market that are you know very much should be considered by people as, as strategies around yep. you know what you're going to do about it so the the take home is you can get it tested. Yep. So I reckon I recommend that you do. Yep. Um, my other recommendation is to ask questions of people that you... And who are we asking? Well, like I said, PTs are going to be at the front line, right? Um, I, I think your go-to has to be um, the medical community. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you need, we need to start with, you know, your GP. And you need to ask good questions about how that all works um, and, and get some information. But, um, but even your PT, you know, ask them... You know, I'm I'm big on bona fide credentials. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm big on asking people. You know, if you tell me that you've got a degree, oh, I want to see your testimonial. Show me it. You know, um, and that's where we get into a conversation around good quality education because there's people out there. It's really confusing for people like on social media. Everyone's a guru. Everyone's an expert. You know, and you know, let, let's be happy we are talking about these things. Like, that, yeah, I think it's good. I'm, I'm not trying to be. We've got to find the good information. I'm not trying to, to be the people. big naysayer. All mm. I'm saying is that Daniel Ricciardo is a world champion Formula One driver. Yeah, he doesn't necessarily need to know how the machine works. Yes. And what I'm saying to you is, just because someone's walking around with a great rig and a six pack, yep. doesn't mean they know too much about anything, right? Okay. And that's unfortunately, we always say, don't judge a book by its cover. Well, in our world. Everyone judges the book by its cover. So I just ask questions, ask, ask to see credentials. And, you know, I normally say to people, don't get on the internet. But 
if you want to know anything about me, get on the internet. You know, we're not I'm not here to pump up my tires, but if you want to know what my background is, it's on the internet. Go and check it. I welcome people to check it. You know, and so if you if you go looking for someone, right, and you can't find them on the internet, or you can't find them on Insta or Facebook or LinkedIn, you would I would there would be really significant alarm bells ringing in my world if I can't find something. If someone says to me, I've got this, that, and the other thing, I'm a degree, I've got this, I've got that, and you you go looking for it, you can't find it. Go somewhere else. Mate, good what books. What about that? Let, let's let's talk this one. up. Good books. Oh, good books. Are you reading Jason Fung's The Obesity Code? Oh, I have rung. Yeah, it's a good book. It's it's worth a read. Is have it you worth read people it? reading? Yeah, yeah, definitely. You read it? No, you did tell me I should, though. Yeah, yeah. Have, have a read. It's good. It's a good book. Um, really, uh, it's pro-fasting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm pro-fasting. Uh, I'm pro... Um, Do you want to explain what fasting is to the people? Well, intermittent that, fasting. Yeah. Do you want to explain what that is? Uh, again, we probably need to do a whole show on it. So, in the world of nutrition, time-restricted eating in humans, time-restricted feeding in animals, uh, intermittent fasting uh, have become really popular, right? So you've done, have you done a bit of that? No, you've done keto. Keto. You're, you're hardcore keto. Yeah, Yeah, but not until 2 o'clock in the arvo. Right, okay. Really simple. I don't recommend anyone else do it because it's not working. What, keto? I'm enjoying, makes me feel good. Really? Yeah, I feel really good. There's probably another show on that. Yeah, Actually, there is, there is a show there on is. that. Definitely. And, there, but there, and there's some really good info out there on the different types of, I think the thing that that people get wrong with keto is that they don't get the bacon well still has calories yeah it does <laughs> but you know strictly keto is probably 85 percent fat and um i think people think it's high protein that's something that's a kind yeah, of i run diet. more of a 75 percent model yeah um and then there's the timing of how you have that and the types of fats and, and it's pretty complicated it's not just as i reckon it's hard to be keto like unless you're good with your meal prep to be able to operate in a keto environment is pretty pretty difficult i reckon anyway but with the um i'm an advocate of um i'm an advocate of a couple of things time restricted feeding so eating within a window yep um what's your window well this is where it's changed right it was originally 8 and 16 the research original or the the thought was that everything you had to eat your food within eight hours and fast for 16 hours yep right it was more of an intermittent fasting protocol the the reality on the back of a lot of research and more more recent research and the the guy the number one guy on the planet that i go to for more information around time restricted feeding and intermittent fasting is a guy called sachin panda mm-hmm. um do the google that's a legit name it's a legit name he's a he's bona fide expert and there's some good podcasts that he does and do you want to drop the name of those podcasts um there's one called sorry to throw it out there yeah no no there's a really good one it's uh Rhonda patrick okay we might put a link in the bio of yeah, that i'm trying to think of the name of it she's got a name for it but she's really bright um it's deep though okay. like it, they, they dive deep on the technicalities of it and so i think a, the average person might get a little bit lost but um they have great information for it Okay, um, I'm big on um, time restricted feeding. So the window isn't ten; isn't eight hours, right? The, the reality is that window can be 10, 11 hours. I think eleven and thirteen is where we're at now. Um, and so, you know, that leads into a conversation. We'll, we'll talk about it. Fasted cardio, because I don't think most people doing their cardio in the morning are fasted properly. It takes 16, 12, 16 hours to deplete the liver of glycogen. Okay. So if you ate at eight p.m. and you get up at six. It's not happening. You're not fasted. No. We might get a dietitian on to talk about that. I what reckon we should. Um, but yeah, I like my, um, my time-restricked feeding. It's So the difference between time-restricked feeding and intermittent fasting is that fasting generally still has uh, a significant caloric um, reduction 
whereas um, the intermittent uh, time-restricted feeding is the same amount of caloric intake, just in a smaller window. Um, And I like diurnal eating as well, like eat according to your microbiome. So what you eat in the morning versus what you eat in the middle of the day versus what you eat at night, because our gut flora shifts throughout the day. Mm -hmm. So we can, what sort of foods we have, whether we have high fat, carbs, whatever, um, you you can eat according to your gut microbiome. And I'm, I'm an advocate of all of that stuff. And because I'm a specimen, you know, clearly <laughs> clearly it's working. That was a pun at myself. Mate, I'm loving that. I'm doing all right. 48, killing it. We have to stop now, though. Yeah. But you are coming back next week. You're part of this every week. Thank you. Got some good people coming on, too. That'll be a great pleasure. Bodyscience.com.au forward slash podcast. There'll be some graphs. There'll be some links. There'll be some notes. And hopefully you guys get on and love it. Excellent. Thanks, Macca. You're the man. All right. Peace out.